Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. We were going to go ahead and get started at 2 o'clock and that will be when we get formally started, although again we're running this entire thing pretty informally. This is our first live stream chat doing this, we plan to do one of these each month towards the end of things, probably not always on the last day of the month, uh, but maybe the last Sunday and so forth. Our big focus is going to be on the um, the actual episodes from the previous month, and then as we get more experience with this we might bring on guests and so forth and see what goes with that, but I thought for this very first session, uh, while we uh, while we get used to how to use the software, we would go ahead and just go solo and just do questions. Now again, normally we'll be focusing on what we are covering the previous month and the schedule for the next month, but for this time we'll also treat it as a bit of a AMA or ask me anything type situation. Uh, we will be going ahead and running this afterwards as a video people can watch later on, but uh, I will probably take it down and edit out all the various bits of me stuttering and not knowing what's going on. And of course, it's no surprise with a piece of new technology, anything that is audio-visual you're going to have problems. Alright, so we'll go ahead and start with questions if anyone wants to put one of them up there real quick and we will see where we go from that. And now is when the chat pauses and nothing new gets added on, okay. Uh, for the schedule that's going to be coming up while we wait for questions to come in, we do have four episodes coming up in August, sorry, in October. Let me pull those up. The first one will be Seasteading and Artificial Islands. That's going to be a new series on uh, Earth 2.0. It's, we were joking about maybe calling that Downward Bound for a while, but we've already kind of used up Upward Bound and Outward Bound, but Earth 2.0 seemed a little bit more appropriate because it is going to be an entire kind of how do you terraform Earth, and we'll be looking at all the various technologies we've previously used, so, um, in terms of terraforming other planets. Uh, uh, First question that's on there, will you do a video on the multiverse theory? We've talked about that a little bit before in the Infinite Improbabilities episode, and I'm not really sure there's all that much more to say on the topic. We could talk about multiverses for a long time. I think I've mentioned I tend to follow the Copenhagen interpretation, which is the exact opposite uh, view on quantum. There are a ton of theories for quantum physics in terms of interpreting what all the wave-particle duality and so forth mean, or the entanglement, the spooky, uh, spooky action at distance option. But the thing is, there's no evidence to actually indicate any of those scenarios are true. And I tend to feel that if you can't create a falsifiable theory on something, then it probably shouldn't be included in formal scientific discussion too much. It's a little bit like string theory in that regard. Great theory. Uh, Thank you, Marinus. And, uh, you know, it's a great theory, but there's no evidence. And uh, as long as you're doing science, it does need to be that. Um, Second question, how long do you think before humanity establishes a permanent base on the moon? That is actually going to be our November 15th episode, and actually let me pull up that list real quick, so I'm not trying to quote from memory here. We do keep a archive of all the episodes linked, uh, I will post that at some point again, but we've posted other episodes on the Facebook forum. That will tell you all the episodes that we've done before and has a link to them. It also has a progress status on all the uh, upcoming episodes up until 
December 20th, I believe, at the moment. Um, at the moment, we have Battle for the Moon scheduled November 15th, and we'll be looking there at kind of what's going to go on with the moon when it's actually built up a little bit. As to when we'll get our first moon base, I think we'll probably, maybe in the next 20 years, I know we've always said with the moon, oh, in another 20 years, it's going to be so awesome and so great, and we'll be able to have a moon base there in just 20 more years. But I don't think um, I don't think that we're just going to keep pushing back another 20 years much uh, much longer. SpaceX and a bunch of other companies seem to be genuinely moving on a, a kind of a new concept and a new paradigm for how we do this. And I, I don't want to say any time too soon. It might be 20 years. It might be longer. But I do feel like it's not just something that's going to keep going over the horizon and that by 2050, I, I would be a little surprised we hadn't had some semblance of a moon base set up. Uh, let me scroll back up because I saw another question there that was... Um, somebody asks, uh, do you prefer doing near-future or far-future episodes? Uh, a little bit of both. The thing is, initially we uh, only did far-future episodes because nobody else covered that. And we were a small niche channel, and I felt we should stick to areas that other people weren't covering. Um, after a while, I decided, well, the channel is big enough and high enough quality, we can get away with doing more near-term stuff other people would have covered. Uh... And that did turn out to be a lot of fun, because we do have a lot of thoughts on a lot of those topics. Um, so we probably will look more at some of the rocketry that's actually in place these days, some of the spaceship designs, like some of the ramjets that are being looked at, or um, Skylon and so forth. But to be honest, I always enjoy the Fall Future episodes the most, too. It's it's what we started with, and it's kind of what, you know, nobody else gets to cover it. It's, it's the one that really lets you daydream. All right, let's see what we have here. Thank you, Charlie. All right, question for us. Will you ever put your episodes on Google Play Podcasts? I did not know such a thing existed. So uh, to answer your question, probably, uh, now that I am aware of it, I'll have to look into that. The episodes are available in audio only on SoundCloud and iTunes, um, with and without the narrations. And uh, you can get the episodes, obviously, off of YouTube or BitChute. Uh, we rely mostly on donations and sponsorship around here, so I do try to make sure the episodes are freely available to anybody who wants to see them in the easiest format possible. Um, um, question, who do you think the first molecular black hole that was created? What do you think of the first molecular black hole that was created? I was not aware anyone had created a molecular-sized black hole, and just off the top of my head... That would have to require an amount of mass, uh, assuming the usual Schwarzschild radius is actually correct, uh, somewhere close to at least a mountain, I would think. So that's, I wouldn't think anyone's actually done that yet. Right now, one that would have, like a typical Kugelblitz black hole, um, which would still be too much for us to make right now, but that would be somewhere in, in, in the area of our entire energy output for the planet for a year, just to make a tiny one smaller than a, a atomic nuclei. Um... <clears throat> What was the next question on here? Would you consider an episode on future history possible, Heinlein style? I think we kind of do that to some degree. You'd probably have to clarify, Pete, uh, what you mean by that. Uh, we, we do sometimes do a narrative format where we talk about events from the assumption of, a, like, again, from a narrative format, as opposed to being general. Typically, when we use the narrative format for these, when we're telling a story, it's because there are so many different ways a given technology or group of technologies could roll out over time that you kind of have to pick one. You don't know if it's more likely than the others, but you pick one and just roll with that to explain the concept and how things happened. But just to give you an example, we had solar power before we had internal combustion engines in heavy usage. Very bad solar power. It was uh, basically just uh, copper. 
uh, I think it was 0.5% efficiency. But if that had, you know, if semiconductors had been invented a little bit earlier and we had that, you could easily have seen an entire solar economy and that would have looked completely different than what we have now. Um, you'd have started with basically everyone off the grid rather than having a grid and a lot more research into batteries and that would just kind of change how people use the energy up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Space anomalies in a general episode. Uh, someone asks, uh, space anomalies in general episode. We probably would not do one on that. They are a staple of science fiction. That I mean, that's pretty much what Star Trek's all about. One thing I liked about Battlestar Galactica, um, the, the remade show, was they almost never had space anomalies. And, um, you know, I hate to say that space is pretty boring. There's not a lot of unique stuff in it in that sense. Um, it's only a good plot hook to have the uh, the ships come across space anomalies, but I don't think they'll be very common unless they're of artificial creation. And that would generally, in terms of the Fermi Paradox, speak ill if there was tons of abandoned ruins that were interesting out there. Um, let's see. How do I think language will change in the next thousand years or so? Uh you know, what's strange is we would expect language to shift a lot, just on general principle. If you look at the English language of a thousand years ago, I'm not even sure there technically was an English language at that point. Um, uh, you know, and obviously the people in charge of England at that point in time mostly spoke French or Occidental. Um, but at the same time, I think if you start seeing, you know, a larger population that's more interactive with each other. You're removing that isolation aspect. And if you start extending people's lifetimes too, you're removing the, the desire to constantly change the language. So there is actually good possibility we might divulge wildly into many thousands of different languages that are mishmashes of each other. Or we might start to see a convergence towards one primary kind of common language. And you could actually have both happen at once. You could have every language divulge, but there's a lingua franca that people use that is just the common trade tongue. And if you had one of those, I think there would be a desire to keep that very stable, possibly even regulated by somebody that says, you know, like the Oxford Dictionary Group that will say, this new word uh, has to go through the purest process we're going to add it. Is there a need for this word, right? Because if you get the language constantly changing, it is going to start interfering with what old contracts meant, for instance. And if people are living longer, those things are no longer redundant. So we could very easily have a system where you had thousands or millions of, of new languages and changing languages, but one constant common tongue most people did stick with. Okay. Uh, question, Isaac, what do you do for a living? Anything related with the topics on your channel? Uh, I think I've mentioned this in one of the bio things, uh, bio episodes we did, the 100k special, the 250k special, and there was a lot more biography in those. I, I don't really like to do biography much, uh, especially autobiography. It's always a pack of lies, um, even when you're trying to be honest. Uh, this has kind of become my day job at this point in time, but I am the chairman of the board of elections for my area of Ohio, and um, that actually does keep me very busy. I was joking. We decided to do um, educational videos for our poll workers. Because every year we have about 500 people who have to come in, mostly volunteers, that so we do we do pay them, um, who basically spend a very long day um, making sure everybody can vote. And those 500 people all need to be trained on the equipment every single time because they only do it twice a year tops. And, and yes, elections are usually twice a year, not every four years. Um, wish more people would remember that. Uh, so we decided to do some training videos for them this year, and I spent most of this week doing that, so instead of my usual one video a week that I turn out, I've done 23. <laughs> so, a little bit exhausted going into that, and uh, probably will be until mid-November, but um, that, is the, that is the day job, if you would. Alright, um, the chat window keeps jumping around on me. 
Uh, we have a question, is there a way to create artificial gravity without spinning? And of course there is one would be just to use natural mass or natural energy. Again, it is actually the energy, not the mass itself that generates the gravity. Photons have no mass, but, uh, but do generate gravity. Um, which is in most cases a almost semantic difference. Uh, as to whether or not we can create artificial gravity any other way, that's one of those we just don't know. Um, I usually regard that as clock tech. In fact, we're actually talking about it in one of our episodes, the one after Battle for the Moon, so November 22nd, uh, sleeper ships, we talk about creating stasis fields. And since lots of gravity, or lots of gravitic potential anyway, does slow down time uh, under general relativity, if you could create an artificial gravity field like you see on things like Star Trek, you could presumably create a nice uniform one that would slow down time an awful lot. And that might let you do the classic time stasis fields people always have in sci-fi. As to uh, where we would actually go about doing that, you know, the sun creates photons and presumably gravitons. We know how to make photons, we don't know how to make gravitons, but we can't just assume that we'll never figure that out. But whether or not we'll be able to do that, we have no idea how to do it at this time. So that would just be a wait and see kind of thing. All right. Let's see what our next question here is. Um, if somebody did ask about uh, Warhammer 40k and High Gothic there, um, I actually am a very big Warhammer 40k fan. So uh, one of the ones we always have coming up on there. It's a joke that I uh, always used to abuse our Reddit crowd by never visiting our social media there, whereas I'm on our Facebook one a lot, and I only started visiting there regularly because I... Uh, Fell in love with the uh, Warhammer 40k lore site on Reddit. Alright. Let's see. Okay. What are your thoughts on solar sails and electric solar wind sails? And are you part of the Planetary Society? I've actually had a little bit of contact with the Planetary Society. I tend to be a bit of a hermit, so I don't usually go to group meetings. I do know they have one in my area of Ohio, and they, they did uh, reach out to me briefly, but I can't remember what we discussed there. And... Um, as to solar sails and electric sails, the biggest problem with these is that there's just not a lot of push there. You have to make a very large sail to actually get any real push. And that's certainly on the table as an option, but generally speaking, it's going to get weaker the further away you get from the sun. And in most of those cases, well, it might be very handy for station keeping, um, for like satellites and things you want to put into a, a normally impossible uh, orbit, uh, the lagite we sometimes talk about, a mixture of a statite and a satellite, to actually make a ship out of that or any kind of probe, that seems to be like something you'd almost always do with a laser push sail or a microwave beaming. Alright, let's see here. Could you make an episode about the possibility of using quantum computers and supercomputers to simulate a multiverse and make predictions of different futures to speed up developments? I think we did talk about that a little bit in the Infinite Probabilities episode, the Matrioska Brains episode, and the Quantum Computing episodes, uh, and possibly Iron Stars too. So that actually is a bit of a familiar topic for us. Um, I don't know that we want to revisit it right now. It is one of those things where there's so much new to quantum computing and reversible computing, which is totally different but would tend to overlap with the idea. Um, that I feel like that's something that we'd want to wait off until possibly a year or two for now, because it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we had two quick questions there. Favorite Warhammer, Warhammer 40k army, Imperial Guard. It's just what I played. And uh, have I ever considered running for office? No. No, I, I prefer being an unelected appointed official. So <laughs> it's a much less stressful. A lot of my friends are elected officials, and especially every uh, time they're up for election, their life is just insanely busy. I'm also really only interested in local politics in the first place. 
Uh, on what time scale do you see the first permanent uh, space colonies? I do think we will get them this century. It is one of those ones where um, there's no guarantees about when we would have the technology for it, and we don't have the technology for it yet to do it properly. But um, you don't set up a base, you don't set up a colony at these places until you have a big enough safeguard that you can get a good number of people there to actually do something useful and permanent. And while I do support a lot of the efforts to get to places like Mars, I'm really only interested in doing it with a relatively large crew that's going to be not necessarily staying there themselves, but setting up a camp that people will be at regularly. And uh, there's a lot to be said about, you know, being the first person to climb a mountain, being the first person to land on Mars, but I I don't like anything that's just strictly a prestige mission, and that to some degree seems like that's that's what the aim is there. To me, it goes moon base, get a real walking moon base, and when you know you can keep something like that running, then you go and do Mars, then you go do asteroids, then you go to Europa, and so forth. Um, and I even tend to feel that the uh, the moon base might be premature, and what we need is a uh, a larger space station in low orbit with a spinning section that can simulate moon gravity. Um, you know, it's just a caution thing on stuff like this. If you, we all want to push forward as fast as we can, but you don't want to do it recklessly because if you do it recklessly, you can get setbacks, and those are setbacks that um, you know I don't think we can afford to have right now if we want to have this happen on a good timeline. So caution's handy. Uh, next question: What are your thoughts about education in the future? I think that we're going to see a lot more computer education where it's actually um, customizing to the individual. I think we used the example in maybe it was Jobs of the Future or um, Quiet Revolution is the idea that you have uh, teaching machines that would be scanning you as you read. So as the child's looking at it, watching it, whatever it is, it's picking up little signs that say, oh, he's getting bored. We need to represent this material or skim through it. Or, oh, he was very interested in this piece. Let's focus in on this piece. And I should notice because it is 2.01 p.m., which is when we were supposed to be going live, for any of you who actually joined us at the proper time, we had some technical glitches, and we just went ahead and got started um, a little bit early because it was playing anyway. This is our first live stream session of what I hope will be many more with fewer technical glitches, and um, welcome on board. Today we'll be focusing on questions about the episodes for this month and next month, as well as just a general ask me anything about the channel type uh, format. In the future, we might bring on guests, we almost certainly will, but until I'm a little bit savvier with the technology involved here and YouTube swore blind this was the easiest system in the world to use I'm not going to call them liars but maybe I'm bad with technology uh, which would be ironic um, considering what I do but uh, we're going to hold off on bringing guests on until I can be sure we're in a good quality format and I do apologize for everybody watching today that we are kind of running things a little bit amateurishly at the moment so alright let me scroll back up and see where we're at with questions and if you have questions please just put them into the chat box uh, sorry, in the chat box on the side, which at the moment is the only thing I can see because it's not showing me this video. Uh, could you do a video on robot rights? We actually had that one up there on Patreon as one of our poll topics, uh, kind of a look at Asmo's laws and um, Isaac Asmo's laws of robotics and, you know, rights for robots. And it is something we've talked about a lot. Um, the thing is, whenever you start talking about uh, anything sentient enough to actually deserve rights or have a legitimate claim on them, I think it's a bad idea to start qualifying them by what they are. We've done that in the past, and uh, it's often turned very bad for us. So I tend to take the, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, you 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 know, it deserves a reasonable 
assumption that it is in fact a, a duck. And um, the biggest thing to me is that where that's concerned, I think it's important that if we start creating artificial intelligence that's small enough to be talking about what it wants to do, that um, we need to always be giving it the benefit of the doubt and say, in any given case, you have to prove or disprove and there's a burden of evidence. In this case, we're talking about whether or not something is sentient and does have rights. I think the burden of evidence, once it meets a, a basic level of probable cause, obviously, I, I'm not worried about whether or not my toaster, my current toaster is sentient. But if it's at the point where it's created a reasonable case that it might be sentient, I think the burden of proof is on anyone who's trying to say that it is not, and that we have to assume, until proven otherwise, that it is. So that's pretty much where we're going with robot rights, and we could discuss that more. Uh, next question, a permanent Arctic settlement might be a good first step. Okay, that's technically not a question, but does I thought it was one at the time, so I'll answer it anyway. We were talking a moment ago doing moon bases before we did Mars bases, or another bigger one to replace the ISS in low orbit. And Antarctica, along with McMurdo, uh, the major station we have in Antarctica, the biggest of them anyway, that I'm familiar with, uh, those are actually really good places to be doing a lot of these tests for how we would survive. And theory's great, but in practice always matters more, and you're always going to have something you are missing. The moon is not a good place to be finding out that you forgot some vitally important piece of equipment or you did not consider a, a, a serious problem. And so I am definitely in favor of, of doing big old bases in, in certain very uh, very hostile locations like Antarctica to make sure we've got some of the basics down right. Um, how soon do you think asteroid mining will become commercially available? Um, 20 years is always such a great number for these things because you don't know. I don't think we're going to see it in the 2020s, but that could change very easily. The question is, when you have a rocket and you have automation, and that's the big one, that's good enough to be able to do some of this stuff on its own. Because there's going to be a light lag, even for near-Earth asteroids, um, there's going to be too much light lag to control them remotely. <clears throat> and so when we have a degree of automation that can actually do something uh, where the asteroids are concerned without needing direct human oversight, and I'd say the rocket gets a little cheaper than it is now, then, yeah, an asteroid is definitely a possibility. The trick is it needs to be, you've got two ways you can do an asteroid. You can drag it back to Earth, which is insanely fuel expensive, or you can do all your mining and refining there. And I think to be profitable, you probably need to do the, uh, the latter. Um, and the question is just when do those hit? And I would say five years after that, that tipping point hits, someone will be doing it. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Andrew Can says Ganymede is the best place for colonization. Is that why nobody talking about it? Uh, why is nobody talking about it? I assume that says uh, Ganymede is a good location for colonization. So long as you want to live on the surface, it's it's pretty radioactive there. Uh, it's got higher gravity in a lot of places. There's the biggest moon in the solar system. Uh, Callisto, right nearby, is is in some ways a better location. Europa's got some advantages, but the issue is that you always have to. Um, worry about what's going on at your actual base if you want to be up above if you're doing science there you probably want to be able to see stuff which means something above the surface um and ganymede at this time is not really a good location where radiation is concerned and you're already getting so much radiation just going out there so i do think ganymede will be one of our earlier bases that we have in place probably even before titan which is usually considered one of the best places to do but i'd say moon and Mars, and then a, some of the asteroids, and then Venus would probably be the order, just because of both the convenience of doing them and um, where people want to go. You know, we're very tied up on Mars. You can make a very good case that Venus is a better location to colonize first than Mars, but 
we're still going to do Mars first. It's where we want to go. Uh, and I see a comment here, we should do an ocean-based forest. Yeah, the episode for this Thursday on seasteading is actually about artificial islands, but two episodes after that we'll be doing colonizing the oceans, and we will look at ocean bases then. Alright, space pirates. Um, space pirates, again, are another common staple of science fiction. Uh, and unfortunately, probably one that's going to stay strictly fictional. There's, uh, and this is actually something we talk about more in Battle for the Moon, but... Uh, biggest problem is that stealth issue um you can attack someone in space but they're going to see you coming a long way out and everyone's going to see what you did you can't fly with the horizon and host the pirate flag the jolly roger and then you know do some privateering and then go back to normal shipping they'll know that you did it so that's a bit of a problem there a crime episode would be great dark but great um I agree, Rude, that uh, crime would be a fun one. Future crime would be a fun one to look at, uh, especially some of the staples like freezing people as a punishment. Uh, we might do that one. We've talked about that episode, but uh, it's just one of those ones where we always have so many more topics that we can cover, and I always feel we have to be presenting something new to, to justify an episode. I don't ever like to repeat just, you know, what everybody already knows on that subject, and that would be one of those ones where I have not really come up with a lot of new material on it yet that I feel would really justify the conversation at this stage. Um, let's see. I really do not like this chat window. It's very hard to keep track of everything in. Um, do you think a major space-faring civilization requires a global monopolization over force? Um... I'm not entirely clear what you mean there, Aldric, but uh, if you think, do we need a major spacefaring civilization to actually, uh, you know, be a one-world government? I would say no. I mean, uh, one example of uh, actually getting to the moon required a very fierce competition, uh, thankfully a mostly peaceful one, between the Soviet Union and the United States, and uh, that's an example of competition helping out, uh, getting a lot of ideas out there. I don't know that we'd have gone to the moon, at least then, if we hadn't had that drive. Um... There are always benefits to working together. There are always benefits to having a bit of a rivalry uh, as a whole. I prefer working together over rivalry, especially when it gets too out of hand. But uh, I don't see any major motivation why you have to have a single unified empire, as it were, to, to do space exploration. Uh, the Earth has about 200 countries on it, and we've been getting a lot of stuff done. You know, that's That, of course, just kind of comes down to what people think is a better way of administrating things. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, do you think politics government is a likely place where singularity AIs can excel at, such as coming up with fair policies? Uh, that's a good question, because that, that is, again, that's another one of those staples of science fiction that we would have uh, computers doing all of our judging. And um, the problem is, to have judgment, um, to have what we think of as justice, you do need a person actually thinking about that. So I don't think you can have a mindless AI. It's going to have to be very sentient and very capable of understanding people. And at that point in time, I really don't see a way where you prevent it from having biases, same as anybody else does, or having preferences. We have these, these kind of filters or biases from our experiences in life, and it's going to have those too. So I, I don't really think that, that that option is going to be uh, something that gets you a more neutral observer as a war. Um, I don't think people would like it either, but it doesn't mean they might not adjust to it or that it might not have advantages. I just don't think it's automatically necessarily going to give you a more neutral or objective process. Um, question, you mentioned in an older video you'd be considering covering the topic of spaceborne life. Uh, still thinking about that topic. 
Yes, that is one. I usually call that void ecology. We are definitely going to do a video on that at some point, but it keeps getting put off because we keep doing preliminary videos. Uh, like environment of space habitats coming up uh, fairly soon. That was originally going to be ecology of space habitats, but we focused more on the weather and aspects of it, so it became environment of space habitats. We will discuss this topic at some point, and it's a fun one. It's, uh, I'm not sure how realistic it is in terms of its likelihood to happen, but it is interesting to see how you might create a, a um, non-intelligent ecosystem in a solar system, basically a Dyson swarm of, uh, of you know, critters, uh, space-born critters living in a vacuum. And it's also a good chance to see kind of like what is the genuine difference at the higher levels of technology between something that's artificial and cybernetic versus something that's genetically engineered. Uh, uh, thank you, Finn. Um, I have not read Swimming in 3D Fields. Just trying to go through some of these questions because I know I'm skipping a ton of them. Um, what if intelligent life is so rare that we never contact it, and what if interstellar space travel proves to be impossible? Uh, we got two questions there from Finn. Um, I tend to, and I, I don't make much of a secret of it, I'm a pretty big believer that life, intelligent life, or at least technological civilizations, are ultra-rare. That they are one of those things you'd be lucky if you found a single one in a galaxy. And uh, that will become higher in time, obviously. I don't expect us to, and I think that when we say, what if the life is real like that, I think the answer is, well, what we have right now. Someone eventually pops up, they find uh, that area of theirs mostly empty already, and they go ahead and colonize it. The problem, of course, always being that you really don't find these things mostly empty. They're either empty, or they're all completely taken up. The statistical odds of two civilizations popping up at the same time in a galaxy, if life is that real, intelligent life anyway, uh, is very small, because you're talking about about a million year window. And um, that probably is a good thing in many respects, because while I love the space opera thing where you got millions of, of civilizations in one galaxy, I the only way you can have them conti uh, you know relatively close to each other in time so they're not all disadvantaged is that they all came from the same civilization. That was something uh, Jean-Michael Gaudier and I were discussing in one of our more recent episodes is if you want alien civilizations, just wait, and they, they will arise because we will make them. Um, and uh, what if it turns out to be impossible to do interstellar travel? You know, by now it is impossible for us to do it, um, but it's not actually banned, and it, the science does look like we can do it. It might turn out to be impractical, and if that's the case, that's one possible answer to the Fermi paradox, but I don't see that being too likely. Just as a rule, um, until we've been at this game longer, we've been doing spaceflight for less than a century, I don't want to be ruling it out as something that we can't do. I think it's way too premature to be considering that, especially when the science seems to indicate that we can. But it would change a lot of things, and it would change our answer to the Fermi paradox, too. Um, question. During your video of space weaponry, space weaponry, what is your thought of railguns, like in Mass Effect, or plasma weaponry, like in Metroid? I haven't played Metroid in a long time, like 1990. Thank you for your videos, it's fun to learn. Thank you. Um, railguns are a very uh, good way to go about sending large amounts of mass, but I'm not sure they make for great weapons in the... Uh, Long term, I think anything that's going close to the speed of light right from the get-go, like a laser, is going to have a lot more advantages, uh, or plasma. Um, they're a very good way to engage in bombardment, but the problem is you really don't need a lot of additional ways to do that. Um, you, know, you can always just drop something out of the spaceship in most cases. So, as to hand-portable ones, that's just a portable power issue. We discussed that in, in portable power. If a weapon 
is uh, limited to basically chemical energies or modern batteries. You can't have a handheld weapon. That would be a, a you know the real gun people discuss. So if they can miniaturize that more, then there you go. Otherwise, I don't think there'd be a, a small arms type weapon. Um, let's see. Why do you think? Oh, let's see, the score is way on me there. When do you think Starshot will get off the ground and running? I do not know. Uh, I would like to see it get moving. Obviously, we're very big into the concept of laser propulsion here, but that is one of those things where you're going to need a, a real power satellite grid, I think, in place first before you do anything other than, than test probes. And I, I do not think that sending a probe that only weighs a few grams to another solar system is really where we want to be looking at right now. Uh, a few to just kind of check whether or not the system is capable of doing that, yes. But... Uh, Space probes are heavy affairs. People tend to forget the thing that landed on Mars, you know, the Pathfinder. That thing weighed a ton, you know. Um, the Voyager, very heavy system. Uh, we've learned to miniaturize stuff a lot since then, but you're always going to have that radiation issue in space. And so you're looking at bigger probes. Um, and in order to do those, you're going to need gigawatt power lasers that can sustain that. And I think that requires a, a pretty pretty significant orbital power grid first. Um question what do you think about uplift, uplifting primitive civilizations uh we did do an episode on that brian i uh i guess technically we did too i don't know it, it's one of those case-by-case situations there's great examples of it going wrong or going right um there's an example in the uh well obviously in star trek a lot but in uh, dennis taylor's uh we are legion uh barbivore series where they do it and it mostly turns out right but has some problems the issue is if you land and you start talking to one tribe and you, you, you uplift them, what about their neighbors? Do they go conquer them, possibly for their own good? Do they go to war with them? Do the others dig their heels in? And it's it's like any case where you're involving yourself in somebody else's affairs, um, you're going to have some problems. doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, though. Um, that's one of those questions where I think we really need to find an example first. I don't have an ethical issue, though, with uh, doing something like, say, uplifting dolphins. Um they're not really in a position to understand the process, so we can't ask them in advance. And in that case, we just have to make a better judgment. And I think so long as you're making these decisions calmly and patiently, and in everybody's interest, not just your own, you, you'll come up with a civilized answer. It might not be the best one, but it'll be an ethical one. Uh, question. When, uh, what do you think of bioweapons? Not much. Um, <clears throat> bioweapons are very hard to target. Uh, most militaries do not like them for that reason. We actually discuss them in regard to the moon. They are, they are almost useless on a space colony as our chemical weapons because every breath of air is filtered and monitored. Um, with advanced warning, you can guide against them very well, and if you don't have advanced warning, it is so easy for it to miss the target, and that's kind of the last thing you ever want in a military campaign is a weapon that doesn't go where you want it to. Um, you kill your own troops, your own citizens, your neighbors, your uh, neutral third parties. So, um, And, of course, I, I don't much care for them on general principle, but obviously they can be very effective. But uh, as weapons of mass destruction go, I'm not terribly fond of any of them, but that would probably be my least favorite one. They're, they're an ethical and logistical nightmare. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Question... Do you like Arno Harrington? It would be a great Netflix series. Uh, I do like the first five or six books. Uh, this would be uh, David Webber's Arno Harrington series. Uh, the classic one is uh, On Basilisk Station, and that is a great read. Um, I do like them. I kind of feel like after the first five or six, the, it's, it, the characters are starting to get a little bit weaker. 
Um, we have a follow-up on that. Uh, what about Black Mirror? I've seen three episodes of Black Mirror. I'm I trying to remember who recommended me to Sam did. And um, I kind of got turned off by the very first episode, which was the one involving the, uh, the pig. If you've seen the show, you'll know what I discuss. Um, I do normally like anthology shows. Everyone tells me it's great, but I haven't gotten around to catching any more of it recently. Uh, and yes, as to the previous question, I do think Otto Harrington would be a great thing to see on Netflix. And I, I do love that uh, Amazon Netflix whole finally letting us have a lot more science fiction that's a decent quality let's see what do you think about the gateway foundation oh, i like them they're still getting started i mean obviously we did an episode with them so uh whether or not we'll get that spaceport up there that's the right way to be looking so can you comment on plans that the giant spaceport i've seen videos about i think that that's probably the same question can you comment on plans for the giant spaceport i've seen videos on about youtube there's quite a few of them um uh uh Brian Wiesberg, um, who does so many of the animations for uh, a lot of the spinning colonies and a lot of the uh, space habitats on Mars that have been proposed, he does um, some really great work on that, and that would be like Planner plan of one and a few others. Uh, Fragomatic does some very good ones too, and of course quite a few artists actually do some very great renderings of them. Um, so you'd have to specify which one you meant by that, but uh, there's a lot of spaceport designs, it just depends on how much people are willing to throw in and what's the expected amount of usage. I do think that for the next phase, uh, we are going to need one that has a spinning section at either moon or Mars gravity. Those are easier to build because there's less gravity and they don't need to be as wide. But that's the next question we need to answer is how long can people live in low gravity? And uh, people say, why doesn't the ISS have a, a rotating section? And there's two reasons. One, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a maintenance nightmare to try to connect the two. Uh, and two, um, we have places we can do experiments in gravity. We have exactly one place in the known universe right now where we can actually perform uh, zero-gravity experiments. So the ISS, we don't really want to put gravity on there because what we want to see is what no gravity does. But for the next phase of operations, we are going to need something that lets you simulate moon or Mars gravity for prolonged periods so we can see if people can live there. You know, we don't know yet. It might be just a little gravity is enough or it might turn out to be a big problem. Question, what do you think will be the first economically and technologically viable alternative to rockets for taking stuff into space and when? From Michael Kozlowski. Uh, quick note before I jump to that question. If you've already done a question and I skipped right by it, go ahead and retype it at some point because I, I, I'm having problems scrolling through the chat. Um, as an alternative to rockets, I, you know, if you'd asked me two or three years ago, I'd have said that rockets were probably not going to be what we could do for the near future, that we'd have to switch over to something like the Skyhook or Star Tram. And SpaceX kind of proved me wrong on that one. They've been doing some amazing stuff with rockets, uh, with reusable rockets and launch costs. Um, I would still tend to think something like the Skyhook or something like Star Tram or Lofstrom's launch loop is the next one we have to do for any kind of serious uh, cargo usages. But when we say serious, we'd be talking about putting, you know, tons of material into space every day until you start getting in the area where you're doing lots of freight, probably like a megaton a year. You can get away with just using rockets and probably save money over building one of the large items. But I would tend to think something like Star Tram or the Launch Loop would be the way we'd have to go if we want to seriously develop infrastructure. And of course, at some point, probably an orbital ring. All right. Are you married? No, I'm not. Uh, question, what type of drugs might we see in the space or the future? I'm not going to touch that one. Excuse me. <laughs> Who knows? Um, probably 10 times as addictive as, as the things we have now. Um, 
You used to use the cultural series as a science fiction example of things. Did you just not want to keep using the same thing, or was there some other reason? You know, I've actually been staying away from the cultural series because I heard it was going to get its own show, and I, I wanted to look at the uh, the Banks Orbital Ring or some of the other concepts they had there when the show like that was coming out and there's more enthusiasm for them. You know, we're always, with a lot of these concepts, we're trying to reach new audience that might suddenly be interested in it. And um, uh, I'm a very big fan of Ian M. Banks' work. Um, it, I would say my favorite one by him is actually Accession or um, Use of Weapons, but uh, can still fly, but fleet. Consider Phlebas tends to be the one most people know from the Banks opponents, his first cultural series novel. Uh, I was very happy to hear that that was under production. We'll see if it, uh, you know, a lot of things get optioned, and uh, we'll see if that does actually make it to the screen. But uh, that would be when we tend to talk about it more, or if they say, no, we're not doing it, then we might go ahead and do something anyway. Um. <clears throat> Will you please do an episode debunking moon conspiracies? A lot of people don't believe the United States sent astronauts to the moon. Perhaps you could do this as part of the 5,000K sub special. Um, you know, I when it comes to a lot of these, like we never landed on the moon or um, the Earth being flat, I tend to feel a lot of the folks who believe these things uh, are really just doing it out of kind of a stubborn uh, negative attitude. I don't like to feed the trolls at War II. Uh, if they want to believe that, so as not force anybody else to... They're welcome to do so. I mean, you guys can probably guess I consider it pretty ludicrous. And there's always an extra component, um, Winchell Field, when you're in physics or rocketry. All of your mentors were the people who were involved in things like the Apollo Project. Um, you know, you're not going to know anybody in, in physics who, who isn't got a, a teacher or a mentor who, you know, worked in the Manhattan Project or worked for someone who did, I guess, now that everyone's a little bit older or worked on the Apollo Project. And when people say things like, the moon landing never happened... Um, you know, you get pretty close to your mentors, I, I think. Uh, I certainly did. And it's kind of like calling them all a bunch of liars. And they're usually, you know, the kindest, smallest people you ever met. The idea that they'd be keeping a secret like that from you is pretty ridiculous. So there is a, uh, there was a personal component on things like the moon conspiracy that uh, makes me stay away from it because I would tend to probably want to scream at people if they did. And they're not hurting me, so let them keep their viewpoints on that matter. Uh, question. Do you think Kessler Syndrome can be so out of hand that we can't leave our plants for thousands of years? No, um, <clears throat> the biggest threat from Kessler Syndrome is short-term clutter in space that would hit you in low orbit. And that, pretty much by its very nature, doesn't persist too long. It could be decades, but the stuff in high orbits could, but there's a lot of stuff in high orbits, too. And there's a lot more space for it to spread out around, too. So Kessler Syndrome could leave a planet unable to do space travel for decades, but in the launch home, probably not. And there are ways to clear that out. Again, laser booms being a good example. You just shoot the stuff with lasers, and we already have ground-based lasers that can hit satellites. Um... Question, do you think space colonization have a peaceful chance nations in Earth are still very divided? Sorry, um, do I think space colonization uh, for peaceful nations on Earth is possible? I do think we can do space colonization without actually having to be unified. Again, during the Cold War, um, I, I, you know, I don't want to say all the advancements that we made in the space race were because the Soviet Union and the U.S. were at each other's throats. Um, but at the same time, it certainly spurred on a lot of the funding and a lot of the, the push for it. Um, I don't prefer to do things that way. I prefer to cooperate with the various countries to get things done. But uh, I don't think you actually have to, to to necessarily be really close and tight with everybody to actually achieve space colonization. Um, you look at colonization classically throughout history, and it's usually not been done um, by a great unified force, but individual city-states or countries that were rivaling with each other anyway. 
Um, let's see. How do extraterrestrials drink beer? Uh, <laughs> on ice, maybe? I, 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 I got a bad habit of drinking this stuff lukewarm while I was in Europe, and uh, most of my front teeth are fake, too, so I, I don't like cold liquids uh, very much. Um, so maybe they drink them warm. I, it's hard to say. You're going to have a fermentation process or something parallel to that any place you have biology, though, so they're all probably very likely to discover it. Um... Question, would you agree that the solution to the Fermi paradox must be universal and the only universal assumption we can make is the definition of life? Trying to define life is in itself actually a very tricky one. Whatever the actual primary answer to the Fermi paradox is, almost has to be universal. The trick being that, uh, and we get that, what we call the end of greatness above uh, 300 uh, million light years across, the universe starts getting very homogenous at that point, very similar. Um, though that wouldn't necessarily apply to uh, life forms being the same across all the distance too. Um, there's nothing really unique about our chunk of the universe that would explain why we all have a silence and other places would not, unless it was just a, we were like the lotto winners, where you know the reverse of us being sentient and nobody else being, we won the lottery, rather the reverse that in most of the universe, life is very common, but here... We, you know, nobody's won the lottery except for us, and that, that's statistically strange that in most places you'd have thousands of species by now. The, the problem is that, um, you know, we can see a billion light years away, and, uh, and we're looking a billion years back in time, and there's no particular reason to think the universe, you know, could only just start having life right now, that we wouldn't see civilizations like that. So I do think it does have to be universal. Um, as to the definition of life, that's going to be a much trickier one. I usually go with the definition of intelligence for the Fermi Paradox, because, again, I think intelligent life would be pretty common. Uh, sorry, not intelligent life. Life in general, I do expect to be pretty common. What do you think about putting a mass driver on the moon or Mars? I love the idea for the moon. For Mars, it's a little bit trickier. You'd probably do a ramp up to the side of something like the uh, like Olympus Mons. There, there are quite a few large mountains near the equator there. That would be a good pick. Uh, for the moon, um, the nice thing is there's no atmosphere at all. Uh, even Mars has enough of an atmosphere that you have to worry about drag at those kind of speeds. Um, so you can just run a, a... You don't really need an enclosed one. You can just run a railroad track around the the, the, uh, the moon and get up to... I think we calculate as 11 kilometers a second as your launch velocity if you're doing uh, 1G around the thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, a mass drive on the moon is almost a no-brainer. It's, it's one of the best ways to do it. You don't have to build tall, but if you do need to go over craters and things like that, it's very easy to do the structural because of the low gravity and the lack of wind pushing on stuff. So they're much easier to build there. And I do think we always, that's one of the advantages of using it as a raw material source for, um, for things in Earth, uh, low orbit or cislunar space is that you can just get mass off the moon so much easier. Uh, keeps disappearing questions on me um one moment do you think cyborgs will be the first humans to really live in space no um i mean it depends on what your definition of cyborg is uh and if you mean by live in space live in the vacuum then they'd almost have to be cyborgs uh but i do think um that a lot of early colonists would probably be cyborgs if that technology was available at the time but there's no particular advantage one way or another <clears throat> Uh, no, my voice is not computer-generated one. <laughs> so, I think someone could do a better job. Uh, what will be the future of automobiles and electric cars? Um, but probably that the automobiles will probably start shifting to electric. There's a lot of downsides to electric vehicles right now. Um, I probably don't need to repeat them all, but living in the country as I do, you, uh, you definitely notice the idea of when you're driving 50 or 60 miles, how hard it can be to refill or, you know, have to stop and recharge. Um... 
as batteries improve, though, I think that is the way that we'd end up going. Right now, though, um, you know, to, to recharge a battery, you, you're using the same plug that's giving you electricity, which, in my case at least, comes from a nuclear power plant a few towns over, but typically it's going to be something coal or gas-fired, and you know, generally you want to have an oil... If you're, if you're making your energy through oil or coal, it makes sense to have it in the actual engine on the car instead of battery-powered, but that's all going to change with time, and we'll just have to see how battery power and alternative energy sources work out economically as time goes on. Um, I don't think we're going to have flying cars, though. That's always the big one, is will we have flying cars one day? And you will certainly have aircraft. We already have aircraft, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that you'd ever want to have flying cars ramming into each other 100 miles an hour. Did you ever play D&D? Yes, I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons since my teens. I was horrified to find out uh, that it had been over 20 years I was playing. Um, typically these days I play Pathfinder. They're doing a new edition. Obviously so is D&D, and I'm a little bit iffy on that. Uh, for anyone who wasn't clear on that, Dungeons & Dragons is a tabletop board game uh, with pen and paper. Um, and... Uh, I'm still fond of it. I still think it's better than video games, and I uh, actually I still tune in by it's. It's how I know how to use. This is actually what my webcam is for in the first place. Was uh, tuning into a game that a friend of mine runs in Buffalo. So, um, and uh, let's see, Isaac, where did you get your space canvases from? They're cool. Amazon. Uh, those are actually very classic uh, ones for um, <clears throat> space alt. You can just look up space alt, and you can probably find the exact same ones or a different selection. So. Very atypically, uh, you usually don't hang paintings two feet off the ground, but when this is your backdrop because you're sitting, it usually helps to have that. So, uh, the rest of my house does have other things like that in there, but it's mostly jigsaw puzzles and tapestries, so. uh, and bookshelves, endless bookshelves. <clears throat> what do you think of solo freaking roadways? I, I mean, if you could make it strong enough as well as uh, cheap enough and with traction, then it does make sense to use a, a road for solar power. Um, I have to say that I, I would not generally tend to think that was the best place to set those up. I'd rather do something like houses. Um, but, you know, you you want that energy and uh, it's there. Cars are driving over it. we got to keep it clear. But you're going to constantly have to sweep them off. They're going to get snow on them. You're going to have cars driving over them. You're going to have snow plows going over them. Um, it needs to be sturdy. It needs to be cheap. Or you're better off doing something like roofs. And I do like roof-based solar power. Um, what do I think about the steady-state theory? Um, not much these days. Obviously, there are still some variations on that that will go around. And we could see something at a broader scale. Like, for instance, we could be part of a, a larger universe in which ours is just a bubble. We don't actually know about that, uh, and we can't see outside of the corn absorbable universe anyway, but it's certainly a possibility you could have cyclic universes. Um, thank you, Larry. Uh, for anyone who's been wondering, I've had speech therapy for about a year now. It is getting better, um, but it's a very slow process. So, um, And uh, to add to that, we're trying not to mess around with my tone of voice very much because it's it's... It's a little bit too much me for us to mess around with, so we're just working on the eroticism, although I actually have problems with all the glides, which are uh, W's and L's too, so, you know, wascally rabbits and whale guns. Um, we'll see how that works out, but it's time-consuming, so maybe another year or so will be less obvious than it is now, but I'm, I'm glad to hear it's improved for everyone. Uh, question, do you think we will uplift animals in the future, and if you so do you expect them to be legislated like stem cell research? I'm quite sure that we'll do it at some point, and I would think we probably would regulate it. Um, but it's going to be a while. Hey Isaac, if you lived at the end of the Iron Age era in some form, what would you use the last bit of power for? 
I assume you mean the iron star age. Uh, what would I do with that last bit of power? The thing about these is, is they turn into a black hole at the end, and they're going to release all that power is a big explosion towards the end. Not quite an explosion. I think, you know, if it was just me and we had everybody stored still, uh, I'd probably try to wake everybody up for one last day, you know. Um, there's the one cool thing about the black hole era and the uh, iron star era is if you can survive to them, you get power back. And um, you get a large amount of growing power as things decay in mass, they give off more energy. And... Um, you you know, time doesn't mean too much in that context. It's all about how much energy you have, power-wise. I think I would I would try to run everybody one more time, and you could probably give everybody a, even even for the ungodly amounts of population you've had over all that time, just run everybody for one last day, one last year, whatever you could do. So, uh, you know, better to go out with a bang. Um, let's see. Do you believe that supercapacitors beat lithium batteries in the near future? Probably not the near future, but there's there's areas there. Anything that can get uh, battery power better than um, better than we have right now, chemical energy, is going to be a huge boon to us. And, and it does seem like graphene and supercapacitors open a door for that. Question. Can you make a video where you share your thoughts on the movies Interstellar and or Arrival? <clears throat> no. <laughs> um, I like Christopher Nolan as a director. Um, I, I happen to like uh, Inception quite a lot and Memento from back in the day, even though Inception's plot's very bad, but I did not like Interstellar and I have not seen The Arrival, so I wouldn't want to, um, wouldn't want to any judgments on Arrival, I've heard good and bad things. Interstellar, I, yeah, I, if you watch the channel a lot, that movie probably seems pretty unrealistic to you as well, so... But, uh, you know, cinematically it was beautiful. And, and that, you know, that to me, though, does not necessarily make for a great sci-fi movie. I thought the actors did a good job, too. And, uh, but I, you know, I really don't review movies. Uh, there are other people who do that better. Um, SF Debris uh, is another channel you can try out sometime, though he's mostly off YouTube. Great one if you like to see reviews on science fiction. Uh, he gives them proper treatment. So I'll, I'll leave him to that business and, you know, make comments on these things occasionally. Um question what do you think personally is the most interesting mystery in the universe and cosmology dark energy uh dark energy we you know dark matter to me is a little bit boring it's just one type of particle we don't know much about yet but finding out there's one that does interact with uh anything but gravity would not be that peculiar to me we got ones that don't interact with the weak or strong nuclear force for instance um finding out what they are big priority but dark energy is an entirely different thing because it's there's just so many options for how that could affect uh how the universe can turn out in the long term where we came from where is the energy coming from uh is there something that it's coming from that we could potentially visit tap etc so i think that is to me probably the most pressing uh cosmological question to actually answer about the universe Anya marie question do you think we should only uplift apex predators like ourselves i i'm not so sure that i really want to be uplifting lions or you know i like cats and dogs we all love cats and dogs and it's a standing joke that says a lot about humanity that the uh, things we keep as pets are, are predators. Um, not necessarily sure that I would want the, to have um, the competition from a species that was naturally hyper-aggressive and murderous. You know, I love my cats, but uh, they are murderous little bastards. Excuse my language. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to limit it just apex predators anyway, but uh, I'd say raccoons or dolphins. I mean, dolphins could be quite nasty too, but... Uh, Raccoons would probably be my first choice. I, I love raccoons. Or elephants. The relatively low-hanging fruit up left them in the first place. Uh, come and speak in the UK. I, you don't actually do have to get over to the UK at some point, too. Um, all right. Cybernetics augmentation versus genetic alteration. What's your preference? 
cybernetics generally speaking um because it gives you a lot more fluidity especially working with an adult with a lot of the genetics you're going to have to change everything and unless you're getting them as a baby that's that's a lot harder um i mean to me it's not either or i figure most people who are into cybernetics will be fine with genetic alteration too and there will be cases where that's easier or better for a specific function so i don't see it as an either or situation but cybernetics does strike me as the easier one to work with um isaac we love your channel what is the best way to support you and help you continue i should probably be pointing out that youtube's got memberships but i haven't enabled those yet patreon we, we leave a link to it in pretty much every episode that's the best way to go with that and if you're doing one time there was a paypal link on the website and if you haven't got the money to spend then uh you know just click i think we do have ads on some of the episodes uh click one of those or share it with some friends or just talk about it with people that's the best way to help get the channel out there to other folks and that's pretty much our goal um, have you read Seven Eyes? That'd be Neil Stephenson's Seven Eyes. I have not finished it yet. Um, it was uh, one of the ones we had as a contender for Book of the Month for November. We actually went with Artemis by Andy Wheel for that. That's for the Battle of the Moon episode. I didn't finish it yet. I thought it was a little heavy on exposition, which I normally approve of, except that I already know most stuff he's talking about, so it was a little dull for me. Um, my favorite book by him, and one of my favorite books, period, is, um, is Snow Crash from the 80s, one of the original cyberpunk novels. And I did enjoy Cryptonomicon, but I, I felt that Stevenson needs to find a, a lower-key amount of exposition to do in the books. They get a little long for my taste uh, in that regard. Um, question from Joe Butler, why do I love raccoons? They're cute. They never cause my cats any problems. Um, I used to have one who come bake Cheerios off me off the porch. Um, they're very intelligent. Um, I don't think they're really ideal as pets, so I gather some people have kept them that way. I just, I think they're cute. I don't know, why, why, why do we like cats and dogs? But, uh, furry critters. I, I don't like snakes much, you know, <laughs> so. <clears throat> Do you think we'll be the first generation to see the effects of end, the end of aging? I'm not sure about my generation. Um, I just had my birthday coming up, and everyone mistakenly thinks I'm 26, because I lie about my age all the time, which is very bad, and I'm 38 right now. Um... And uh, maybe not for my generation. I think people being born today, I think, you know, right now in 2018, they would naturally be dying off in the early 21st, so 22nd century. And I think a lot of them will not be doing so. Whether or not it's something we'll see in this one, I mean, we do have an episode coming up, but I should plug the episode. Um, we are working with Arby DeGray and the SENS Research Foundation, and we have an episode coming out on... November 1st, Science of Aging, and um, that will be going over a lot of science and why we do think it is something that you could see in the side of this century. Inside the next 20 years, the biggest thing on that, as we'll see in that episode, is that it's not that it's all that highly technical and, and impossible to do, it's that there's not a lot of support for it right now because people don't feel like it, it's possible to do it. And, um, you know, when you feel like you're working in something that might be impossible, no work gets done. And... Our biggest hurdle right now is that research and funding-wise, in terms of getting new talent, getting funding for that talent, getting public support for it, uh, a lot of people don't feel like it's there. And, um, you know, once you decide you're going to fly, it doesn't take long for somebody to make an airplane. Once you decide you want to go to the moon, what, that take us two, two decades? So we can move fast when we need to. There's no guarantees about stuff like that. But if we want to see an end of aging in our lifetime, we have to get out there and, and start encouraging people to support this kind of research and uh and uh feel like it is plausible and in that episode we will show that it is so uh, <clears throat> question what do you think is the realistic scientific depiction of telekinesis telekinesis that's probably about as scientific as it gets you can always build something that's going to um you know move stuff up for you uh 
I don't think there's any psychic control over mind and matter, as people would often say, though. Will we get a Dream Team episode of Isaac, JMG, and Fraser Kane? Um, <clears throat> I'm actually going to be doing an interview with John um, tomorrow evening, actually. It won't air for a couple of weeks, though. Um, is he just start up a podcast? So that'd be like three hours of us talking live, so I'm probably going to have no voice at all by then. Um, and that will not be on video, so I'll be able to smoke doing it. Um... And I've talked to Fraser recently, but I don't. We haven't been on there for a while. Getting all three of us in the room sometime for a chat like this, very, very possible. And in fact, uh, I probably have both of them on here at some point in time, though maybe not at the same time. I don't usually like to do more than one person at once, you know, conversations, because I feel like uh, you get a bit of interaction with just two people. So, but obviously, if if the, the two of them felt like doing something, I'd be only too glad to do so. So, um, and. Uh, I don't think there's any two channels that we're closer with. So, well, maybe Joe Scott is a good example. Um, let's see. Uh, but yeah, we'll probably do something else with them besides obviously the interview on Monday. Why is everyone here so much more optimistic about the end of aging than the prospect of fusion? Wishful thinking. Um, good question. I'm not sure. People are weirdly pessimistic about both at times. I think it's because they've often been promised it in, in, in pop sci, not in real science. Science has never come out and promised these things in 20 years. Um, but articles will come out saying, oh, fusion is just 20 years from now, and they keep saying it. And it's not the scientists saying that, it's maybe one random scientist thinking he has a lead, but it's usually just that publication saying it. Um, bad journalism is, uh, is a cause for an awful lot of hyped up signs that causes pessimism about it. And I'd actually, I don't like to blame them for everything. I mean, it's not, but, uh, you know, a lot of things like Flat Earth and, and the moon landing hoax, I think, do point back to a lot of overhyped popular science articles that uh, irresponsibly promise people stuff and so they remember that it's that was wrong so everything else is wrong too you can count on your hand the number of times that uh, physics has been wrong about a theory in the last century and I think you still have fingers over, uh, left over for holding a pen but if you were just going by the pop science stuff you'd get the impression it was every day <laughs> so um, let's see what PNP RPGs do you play other than D&D? Uh, what pen and paper role-playing games do I play other than D&D uh, Pathfinder these days? Um, Rifts, way back in the day. Um, Palladium. Uh, a little bit of White Wolf. Um, and I actually got a copy of the uh, one for the Warhammer 40k Dark Heresy one when it first came out as a birthday present from Bill. Uh, Bill is my best friend, by the way. Um, and uh, we never got a chance to play it. It's just one of the downsides. You start collecting uh, lots of copies of RPGs and uh, you never get a chance to play them. Um, but mostly these days, just Pathfinder. <clears throat> With new techniques that will allow people to live a bit longer in good health, maybe generations born in the 24th century... Oh, I'm sorry, that wasn't actually a question. That was somebody saying something. Uh, question, have you seen My Hero Academia? I have not. Um... Question, what are your thoughts on mass-scale production of synthetic fuels such as man-made crude oil and how it can be applied in the future? Biofuels like algae, uh, or ones made from, you know, if you have a fusion-based economy or just a very energy-rich one like a power satellite system or even just like thorium if we got really, really big with doing that. If you have enough energy abundance, you can make fossil fuels. Uh, they wouldn't be fossil fuels, obviously, but you can make synthetic fuels. Um, that's going to be an energy-negative process, but... It's like batteries. You know, if, you, if you're coming out, if it takes twice as much energy to make a gallon of gasoline, that's often going to be worth it. We use batteries in a lot of things, and people tend to forget the price of energy in your typical AA battery is about a thousand times what you're paying for it out of the outlet. And even recharging your phone, those, those batteries, they uh, do not hold as much energy as you're probably thinking, and they could run a microwave for maybe 30 seconds, you know? Um, 
and yet those are very expensive batteries and expensive energy to charge them. So anytime you can make a, a portable fuel that uh, you know is going to produce a lot of energy when you use it, uh, like synthetic gasoline, it's probably going to turn out to be worth it for its portability. Um, that said, uh, something like that, you have to keep in mind that would be carbon neutral because you would be sucking carbon out of the aorta to make it. It's hydrocarbons, water, and, and carbon dioxide, and those are plentiful. Question, what do you think of Frank Herbert's Dune series? I love Frank Herbert's Dune series. I'm not. I'm a little more torn on the ones that his son and uh, Brian, uh, sorry, Kevin G. Anderson did, although they are both good writers. I just, I'm kind of iffy about those books. Um, Dune is... It's a classic for a reason. It was actually one of our book of the months, and um, it's got some bad science or plot holes in it. Back in that day, you couldn't Wikipedia stuff to double-check, but Frank Hobart was a great writer, um, and he's usually one of the top three list on sci-fi, and, and well, well-deservedly so. Um, I would certainly recommend reading the first book, and if you choose to read more than the first book, make sure you get up to at least the first four books, up to God Emperor of Dune. Um, after that, if you enjoy it, read more. If not, then not. There's a really good audiobook out that's got a full cast with Stephen Rudnacki in it that I'm very, very fond of, too. But I also was a very big fan. One of my favorite movies was the David Lynch version from 1983? 1983. came out about the same time as Blade Runner, which uh, is also my favorite film, is Blade Runner. Um, those two movies had a huge impact on me. And David Lynch is a very strange, uh, very strange director. I remember him with Twin Peaks, but he does some good work. They did a mini-series on it, as well as a sequel, Children of Dune, in the early 2000s. Uh, the Dune miniseries, not so good. The Children of Dune one, very good. And I'd certainly recommend those if you don't want to read the books. Okay. Would you rather have a fusion drive spaceship and worry about lots of heat, or a metallic hydrogen ship and worry about finding fuel refineries? Oh, fusion. Uh, definitely. I, although, if I could do both, because you know, in a lot of cases, you're going to want a small, compact fuel you can use just for a quick boost. Um... You know, metallic hydrogen, if we can actually make that stored fuel and it's got the energy density we think it has, would beat normal rockets hands down. But it, it's it got nothing on the kind of energy released by fusion. Or any, any you know, it, it would roughly parallel a, a nuclear thermal rocket. Uh, question for you. Um, it keeps doing that. Sorry, by the way, on some of these questions, it keeps popping away uh, to a different screen as soon as I touch it. Um, let me get back to that. What do you think will be the future currency, uh, currency of the future? Probably a fiat currency, like we use now, a floating fiat currency, or mostly floating fiat currency. Um, the problem with commodity currencies is that you always sense any technological change in just that one item. Plus, in order for it to act as a currency, it often gets removed from play. Um, you know, if everybody's using cigarettes as a uh, as a commodity currency, and that's a very common example of a commodity currency as well as that I haven't had a cigarette in now. Um, you know, those cigarettes you keep around when they're stale and uh, people are hoarding them rather than smoking them, so it's removed from play. And the same, you know, you can't use a perishable item, so um, you couldn't use apples as a basis for currency. But what you could do um, is use something like the jewel or uh, watts per meter squared of, of uh, energy coming out of the sun as the basis for your commodity currency. And that's viable, but again, it's leaving out any, any other aspects of the economy that are not related to that. And it's going to be subject to any change that you have in uh, the technology that's harvesting that material. So even things like gold or silver, those are valuable uh, by a given quantity because we're assuming no changes. Uh, that was always the thing with alchemy. If you can start making gold from lead, then you destroy that market. Whereas a fiat currency more or less kind of runs on the stability of that country. And people can argue about that one way or another, of course, many do. But that does strike me as where 
people are going to keep the currency at. As to cryptocurrencies and electric currency, the future of banking is obviously in, in electronics, um, and those have to be encrypted to be safe. So in that respect, cryptocurrency is definitely going to keep rising. But if we're limiting it to specifically things like you know Bitcoin, where the, the value is limited to that encryption, you're always going to have a problem that uh, it takes more and more energy to get the next you know, dollar out of that, and that could cause some bottlenecking issues. But there are also some ways to work around that, so we'll have to see. Question, have you thought of visiting First Contact video topic again? Any new insights on it? We actually have. We were, uh, one of the Patreon poll topics recently was whether or not we would do um, another episode on First Contact, you know, Primitive Civilization. And uh, considering how many episodes of various sci-fi shows have been around that, we can certainly get away with doing another visit to that. Um, and uh, I should just see a comment from John Michael Godier there about David Lynch rocking, and yes, he does. But uh, we did uh, basically already did a follow up on that with uplifting. Um, <clears throat> I would like to look at some more of the options for that, but we we'll have to see. It's I'll be always have so many episodes to do. Um, would you consider doing more types of shows per week? No. <laughs> um, we could do shorter episodes, but I couldn't do another topic each week. Each of these episodes kind of goes around my. Uh, had you know in the background for a while before it turns into an episode and if we tried to do more episodes topic wise it would probably hold us we could do longer episodes a little bit but even that might be pushing it. um once a week is pretty much where i'm happy doing them at and then some occasional bonus things like this end of the month or a special episode um your videos seem to always be very optimistic on our future will you make something similar to idiocracy i've not seen idiocracy yet so i, I do not know i've heard good and bad things about that uh, about that uh, movie uh, <clears throat> question do you th- okay have you read the robots of gotham and what do you think of the work of todd Malkies created um i don't know i haven't read that um i've actually never heard of that book before i wonder I, the first thing amazing is robots and then gotham city with batman um let's see light lag makes it hard to exchange electronic money could there be a physical in-between currency exchange bucks to gold or jupiter bucks earth bucks um you know, that is that is actually one of those examples where commodity currency can be very handy is when you're trading between two entities that really can't tie their uh, their systems together very well. Um, <clears throat> there are electronic workarounds for banking like that. I mean, we did do banking before we had electronics, so you know, letters of voucher, right? Um, it's hard to do a voucher letter between Vega and Earth um, because the people involved might be dead or it would take years to find out back from them, but I think that at the interstellar and intergalactic level, at the galactic level, you probably would need to have something like that that was universally valued, and then it would just be seen what was that item. What is that item that tends to be stable in value that you can move between systems and expect it to realistically still be stable in value when you arrive? And that there are so many things that could be. Antimatter would be a great example of that, except it's not very stable and you don't want to store it. Um, it could be something as simple as enriched uranium or uh, deuterium. Um, presumably it wouldn't be something like hydrogen, but um, there is an option for that. You know, you're never limited to just using one system. You use what works best for the occasion. And it could be something like data storage, you know, that you're moving between systems. Question, are there any topics you've covered in videos that you've had a big change of opinion on? Power satellites would be the uh, first one there. Sometimes your views do change on things. Um, I used to think power satellites was a horrible idea. Uh, it's basically one giant death ray to point a planet, but there are safety measures you can take with that and options in terms of the value for that that make me think that it's actually not just a, not a bad idea, but rather might be the one that really lets us actually start developing space. And we'll have a uh, kickstarting space industry episode coming up in 
early December, December 6th, where we'll, we'll be looking at some of those, and that will be one of the ones we focus on. But yeah, that's one of the ones where I changed my viewpoint on it entirely. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of any others, but I've certainly had change of view over the years. So. Um, uh, question, do you think environmentalism will become a thing on the worlds we colonize and harvest like it is on Earth? Kind of depends on what you mean by environmentalism. Obviously, it's a very large movement with a lot of different definitions and focuses. Um, if you terraform a planet, you are taking centuries to, to you know, carefully create the entire ecology of that planet and probably having to uh, tailor a lot to individual specifics. It's something you've been micromanaging a lot. I think that people would be pretty touchy about messing with that system, so you would certainly see people who are opposing any reckless behavior on that. But um, that's, you know, I think... Most people tend to feel that you need to be very careful with the environment around you, and I, I really can't see that changing in the future. Uh, certainly not on plants where you've actually created them, um, the environment from scratch. Have you read Eon by Greg, uh, Greg Bayer? Not recently, but uh, yeah, Bayer is another one of my favorite authors. Um, let's see. We are getting probably pretty close to when we should stop here, so I'm going to try to hit a couple more questions, and then we'll just go over the schedule real quick and close out. Um... Let's see. When do you think humans would first leave the solar system? I would imagine the first person to leave, and obviously you have to find where is the end of the solar system there, but if you mean to go to a, like the Oort cloud, that would be sooner than, or to the Kuiper belt, that would be sooner than going to Alpha Centauri. Uh, the first time we went to Antarctica was well over a century ago. It was another 50 years after that we had our first base, and another 50 years after that we had a more permanent one. We went to the moon 50 years ago, and now we're just thinking about doing a real base now, too. Um climb Mount Everest and we still don't have a permanent base up there. The first person to do something uh, could be in a century or could be in two centuries, but it's almost never going to be this thing keeps going on after that. Um, yeah, as a steady thing where it just starts that day and keeps going. I think that uh, regular human transit between other solar systems is many centuries off, but first person could do it could be as early as in this century. I mean, it just depends on what technologies come into play. With enough automation or a really good cheap fusion source, you already have the technology to build something like that. So if somebody wanted to throw money at it, they could certainly get that done um, with those technologies. Okay. What do I think of the foundation? Oh, I'm sorry, that's not a question. I was mixing them up. Will you update your wormhole videos ever? That's probably a good one to close out on. Um, and yes, we will be doing more live streams in the future. I don't like to redo episodes. I feel like it's kind of cheating the audience to redo topics, but I'm increasingly having it pointed out to me that a lot of times folks haven't even seen those, and we always have more to cover. So the, the FTL series is one of the ones that would definitely, the Fashion Light series that included Wormholes, is one of those areas where we'll almost certainly end up redoing it uh, when we have the chance at the time, just because there's so much more to discuss there. Um, but, uh, and we are, for instance, going to be redoing the Discworld episode pretty soon. Um, I really don't like to redo topics unless we can revisit them with genuinely new information, though. But those episodes, well, in that period where we were doing, like, 15-minute episodes, and I was talking as fast as I possibly could so we could limit the graphics. Um, so, yeah, we probably will redo that. Um, uh, let's find a last question here. Um, I guess we want I can actually answer. Uh, 
Would you and Joe Scott be planning a live stream together? Uh, possibly at some point. I don't know. Uh, Joe offered to help give me a hand getting set with live streaming, and I thought I had it completely under control that we came on AO half an hour early on accident, so I'm going to have to go apologize to him for not taking up on that very kindly extended offer. Um, but uh, Joe and I talk very regularly, so I wouldn't be surprised. At, when it comes to what we do in future episodes, you know, I've got to, this is the first time we've done this, and I said I didn't want to actually have any set plan until we'd already done this one time and seen what it was like. Um, beyond guests, I've had a couple of folks we've already, you know, that unsurprisingly have offered to come on board and uh, do a, a show with us. And I think, yeah, definitely that would be something we'll probably do in the future um, if Joe was of a mind for it. But I think we want to hold off on anything like that until I'm more confident with the uh, with the live stream thing. However, having done this first time, I do feel pretty confident uh, that we would... Um, we will continue to do this. I think that we will probably end up doing them on weekends as opposed to the actual last day. For instance, for October, it would be on Halloween <laughs> in the middle of Wednesday. So um, we most likely will do this again on the last Sunday of October, but we'll, we'll decide after today. Um, any YouTube channels you recommend? Oh, actually, that's a great way to end it. There are tons of channels that we do recommend. They are on the recommended side of the YouTube thing. Um, uh, and... Uh, yeah, I think that's probably where we'll close out today. Let me go over the schedule real quick, and we will finish out. For this upcoming week, we will be having our episode on sea studying artificial islands, which is what we'll spend the rest of this afternoon making the video for. And then we are on to the Million Year Arc, which will be Generation Ships Episode 4. Then we'll be doing Colonizing the Oceans to finish out the discussion of uh, what we're starting sea studying this week. Then Environment of Space Habitats, we'll look more inside what these places are actually like, not just from the outside, you know, spinning can. Uh, then it's on to Science of Aging, which is a collaboration with Aubrey de Grey and the Sens Research Foundation. Um, then it is Reclaiming the Desert on November 8th, which will be another follow-up on the Earth 2.0 series, talking about basically terraforming on deserts. Uh, well, there was a very good episode about that by uh, Real Engineering, another channel I'd recommend. Um, and uh, then we will be doing the Battle for the Moon episode I've been talking about, uh, which is the Book of the Month Artemis by Andy Weir uh, on November 15th. And if you want to see more of those, we do have the link up for that on Facebook and other places so you can see what's coming up you know, many, many weeks in advance. We usually write them about uh, two months ahead of schedule, and then we do the video itself much closer to the date. I know Sindri, uh, who's our moderator at Discord, uh, I just mentioned uh, that we do have a Discord channel. You can always find the link to that in episodes. The Discord server, I usually pop on there for live chat, uh, just audio chat, um, every couple of weeks, usually on Sundays, too. And, of course, I'm on the Facebook uh, the Facebook forum group very often. Thank you, Tom Monkey. Um, by the way, for the random people I keep thanking out of nowhere, those are uh, folks who are doing the Super Chat thing, which I finally got around to figure out what that was today, too, uh, which means they are donating, and thank you very, very much. Um, if you want to help out, you can do that. We'll probably do the YouTube memberships thing as I finally get around to reading how that's done. I'm always a little behind on what the groups are doing. And of course, we have Patreon and uh, a PayPal link is on the uh, website, uh, IsaacArthur.net. There was a Bitcoin one, but I keep having problems getting that to work. Um, it seems to crash on me a lot. And uh, so beyond that, I guess we will close out for the day. Um, hopefully this will be something people can watch later in a broadcast. And I don't know what format we're going to stick to in the future. Uh, possibly longer if I can figure out how to run breaks for commercials or something so I can have a cigarette or get a cup of coffee in between them. But anyway, thank you guys so much for joining me and for putting up with probably the uh, 
highly technically glitchy first episode of the live stream. I look forward to seeing you next month for this. And of course, we'll see you on Thursday and have a great week.